let's stand together and uh, let's look in our uh, Bibles or on our devices at uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 to 14. Um, if you're new to the Bible, just go to the table of contents and um, about, oh, halfway through, two-thirds through the Old Testament, the first section of the Bible, you'll see Jeremiah. Go there and go to Jeremiah chapter 29. And verses 1 to 14. And so this is sort of a standalone. We'll start a new series next week. But this is sort of a standalone sermon where I want to talk to you about what you can expect at Glad Tidings in 2018. And so we're going to read. I'm reading the brown. You're reading the black. And this is what it says. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles. And to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. Then you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Beautiful. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we praise you and thank you for your love for us in Jesus Christ. And thank you for the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit that will now help us, who will now help us. To speak, to hear, to understand, and to comprehend. And as we leave this building, this facility, this property, to go out into our relationships, our marriages, our homes, our families, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our places of school and and education, and places where we give and receive services, that we may live out in a tangible way, a meaningful way, what it means to be Christ followers, disciples, of the living Lord Jesus. And in his name, and for his name's sake, we ask these mercies. Amen. Why don't you be seated? So what you can expect in 2018, how do we respond when things go differently than we thought they would? 
Let me say it again. How would we, how do we respond when things go quite differently than what we thought they would? When we feel strongly that God is in something and we pursue it and it doesn't work out, how do we respond? When we feel directed to do, to go in a certain direction and instead of turning right, we have to turn left. What do we do? What do we do when there is a sea change, a sudden directional change, a mid-course correction? How do we handle that? Where is God when we feel like we've been stood up? Now, I think these are all good questions. And I think they're good questions because they are questions of life, and they are questions actually that come out of our text. Somebody jokingly once said that when one door closes, the rest remains shut too. Well, I'm not sure that's true, but I'm sure it's not true for God's people historically. And so as we look at Jeremiah chapter 29, particularly verse 11, we see that Jeremiah has a message of hope, or rather God through Jeremiah has a message of hope. It's one of the most incredible promises in the entire Bible. And most of us, if not all of us, are familiar with it. And the reality is that some of us could probably quote it by heart. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now you could go into any Christian bookstore, and chances are that you will find these words printed on a plaque or on a bookmark or on some picture or some painting, or find it on some refrigerator magnet. Jeremiah 29, 11 is what people want and people need to hear that there is a plan, that God has a plan, and we, you and I, we fit into it, and that there is a future, and that there is a hope. What we do not realize is that sometimes God's plan is not our preferred one. When Jeremiah penned these words hundreds of years ago, It was the worst of times for the people that he was penning them for and who would read them. The balance of power between the nations was shifting, and Jeremiah's people were caught in the crossfire. Assyria had recently fallen, and the other ravenous empires were wanting to take its place. Egypt, to the south of Israel, was wanting to restore their place of being a world power. And this alarming new city-state called Babylon was beginning to consume everything in their path. And sandwiched between these superpowers is a little country called Judah with its capital, Jerusalem, and they were about to become the wrestling match, mat on which they would, these nations would struggle for world domination. And the people who lived in Judah and the people who lived in Jerusalem, who lived in Jeremiah's time, weren't any different than you or I. They had the same desires. They wanted peace and safety. They wanted to make an honest living. They wanted to put a little bit away for a rainy day. They wanted a little piece of the earth they could call their own. 
And they wanted children and grandchildren that they could laugh with and they could play with. And so they did everything in their power that they could to preserve their lives and their future. They fought, they joined alliances, they made treaties, they paid outlandish tributes, all without lasting effect. And eventually the Babylonians poured in to Jude and Jerusalem and plundered the temple and stole the riches and deported the king and all of the court, the king's court, and eventually took the best and the brightest of Jerusalem and Judah and brought them into captivity. And the people of Judah... The people of Judah wanted the same good things that you and I want in life. And when their hopes were crushed before their very eyes, their pain was every bit as real as our pain, and their questions were every bit as deep. And into this turmoil, into this chaos, into this confusion and devastation, God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah. It was not an easy job because he had a message that at first nobody wanted to hear and that he himself didn't even want to deliver. And eventually his message would actually say that things would get worse before they would get better. Well, the nation, the people couldn't fathom how this would, could be, but into it, into this environment, into this circumstances, into this chaos comes Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 10 and 11. And as I said a moment ago, that these are the words that we want to hear, that we need to hear. And God says, For I know the plans I have for you, and you, and you, and you, and for 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 me. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, to prosper you. Plans not for evil, not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and to give you a hope. Mike Fleischman says that the Hebrew word plans, the Hebrew word plans is the word mahashabah. Mahashabah, when it's translated plans, is too flat. It is too mundane. The word Mahashabah means an exquisite design. Jeremiah, walking through the market. And he comes up on these vendors as they sell these beautiful pottery and Beautifully designed jewelry and these embroidery and tapestries that are just so beautiful. They are so exquisitely designed. This is the idea that is to be understood here. That God promises that even when everything may appear to be collapsing around us, He still has an exquisite design of beauty for our lives. He isn't just scraping together some desperate scheme to bail us out of our mess. Matter of fact, he is actually using our mess to create an eternal work of art. 
He's not merely going to enable us to endure our pain. No, he promises to use these these broken shards of your life and of my life to fashion a masterpiece. Isaiah. God, through Isaiah, gives us another take on the word plans or ma. Mahashabah, it's this, and you know it, but I want to change the words. Isaiah chapter 55. For my designs are not your designs. Neither are your designs my designs, declares the Lord. For as high as the, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my designs higher than your designs and my designs than your designs. It's not. It's not that God doesn't have an incredible design. It's that it's so wondrously high, so incredibly deep, so mysteriously fantastic, that sometimes we can't see it coming. What to a novice may look disordered in its formation will be a thing of beauty in its completion. But God brings an unexpected and a personal twist on the way to that exquisite design. Because our designs are not his designs. God promises. Let me repeat it. That even when everything may appear to be collapsing around us, he still has an exquisite design of beauty for our lives. And not only for our lives personally, but for this church, for this congregation, for Glad Tidings Church in Sudbury. Now, before we move on, we have to keep a couple things in mind. First of all, for the integrity of the Bible, we have to realize that this passage was written originally to God's historical people who lived in Judah and Jerusalem in Jeremiah's time. That's very important. I remember something that Herbert Lockyer said about 200 years ago. He said, while all the Bible was written for us, not all of it was written to us. And so Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 to 14, is written to historical people in a historical time, but it was a real time and place. But at the same time, we also know that this can be a metaphor for all God's people. Because by extension, Paul says in the book of, in, in the New Testament, says that we the church, we who are Christ followers, are by extension a part of Israel. And the promise is for God's people universally. And it is predicated and affirmed on the unimpeachable character of God. And going into 2018 and beyond that, we need to, that we need to center in that. And the other thing to keep in mind is that ever since the Garden of Eden, humanity has always been tempted, has always been led to lack belief in God's character. But the Bible tells us that God is good, and that he only wills the best for us. Did you hear that? 
Now, I'm no prosperity gospel preacher. I don't buy it. But I do buy the unimpeachable character of God, that God is good. And the reality being that God only wants the best for you and for you and for all of you. He only wants the best for us. And the question we need to keep in mind in times of frustration and in times of uncertainty and when things don't make sense is this, do I believe wholeheartedly that God is good and that he is sovereign? So whatever your circumstances are this morning, do you wholeheartedly believe, even when things are falling apart and falling down, do you wholeheartedly believe that God is good and that he is sovereign. And I'm not asking you to answer that question to me. I'm asking you to answer that question in your own heart, in all honesty. Do you believe wholeheartedly that God is good and that he is sovereign? And even out of this moment when things are not great in your life or my life, God is good. Somebody wrote, and I don't know who the author was, said that unless I firmly believe God's love for me is unchanging and that his ways are good and righteous, I cannot, I cannot wholly trust him with the future. Let me read it again. Unless I firmly believe God's love for me is unchanging and that his ways are good and righteous, I cannot wholly trust him with the future. An old preacher a long time ago said this, God is too good to be unkind. He's too wise to be mistaken. And when I can't trust his heart, Sorry, when I can't trace his hand, I can trust his heart. Do I believe that? Do we believe that? That God is too good to be unkind. He's too wise to be mistaken. And when I can't trace his hand, I must trust his heart. You see... Faith is not trust in a promise. Faith is trust in God who is behind the promise. We often say to one another as a way of encouragement, you need to trust God for, and then we name whatever it is. You need to trust God for, and then we name it. And I'm going to suggest to us this morning that we need to lop off the word for. And we need to trust God. Trust God. God's will is what we would choose if we knew everything that he knows. Isn't that good? God's will is what we would choose if we knew everything that he knows. And so that then brings us to what I really want to talk about this morning. And that is the call in our context. 
What does 2018 look like for us? So that means that, Howie, if we were going to Babylon as a part of God's judgment, then your grandchild and my grandchild would be 70 years old before they got out. That's a long time. And God says, while you're there, settle in. Build houses and live in them. It's going to be a while, so plant gardens and eat their produce, because that takes some time. And make sure that you increase and do not decrease. In other words, marry and have kids. In other words, keep calm and carry on. Now, the old saints used to have a term for this that comes out of the Gospel of Luke in the King James Version of the Bible. They used to talk about occupying until I come. And that's God's message through Jeremiah for us today, is that we are to occupy until he comes. And they were to do that until they were taken out of Babylon. And he says these words, which are kind of interesting. He says, I want you to seek the welfare of the city, because if you seek its welfare, you will also be seeking your own welfare. As it prospers, you will prosper. In other words, be a presence there. And I think that's what God wants us to do in Sudbury. He doesn't want us to isolate ourselves and just be some sort of Christian ghetto, like some Jewish ghetto in Babylon. No, he wants us to enter into the life of the city. He wants us to be a presence in our community. He wants us to engage and not disengage. And then he says something really bizarre. He says this. He says, not only do I want you to do all those things, here's the other thing I want you to do. I want you to pray for your captors. Don't they call that Stockholm Syndrome or something? Never mind. We digress. Pray for the people who are taking you captive. The same way in which, while we may not be taken captive, we are to pray for our city for our leaders, for our prime minister, for our MPs. Because as our city prospers, we will prosper as well. That's one of the reasons why we want to be three things. First of all, we want to be a church in our community. We want to care for our community without the community having to ask us. Did you know that one of the reasons why churches are tax-exempt, did you know that Glad Tidings Church is tax-exempt, we don't pay taxes? The reason why we're tax-exempt is because of the contribution that churches make to the community. And we want to be a church in our community. The second thing is we want to be a church in community. And the last thing is that we want to be a church that's forming community because community is always something that is ongoing. It's never static. Now, that's just one way of saying this. We have a three-pronged approach of how we want to function as a church, part of our vision. We want to become a missional congregation. We want to be focused on discipleship, and we want to be involved And we want to reach the next generation. So I want you to back up, if you will, Charles, and bring me back to the missional congregation one. Go back one more. Thank you. Now, time to have a little conversation. And I don't want to speak disparaging about anything, so it's not to be interpreted this way. 
When we came to Glad Tidings Church four years ago, matter of fact, four years and two months ago, the board's vision for this church that we would be, Glad Tidings Church, would be a missional congregation. And if you remember, we started down that road hard. But I discovered in all of that we weren't getting that much traction, and then I realized what was going on. There's two things that come to bear. First of all, is that the board, when they brought Ruth and I here and invited us to come to be the pastor, and you voted on this, is that they saw what we did in Barrie. And what we did in Barrie is we took a classical Pentecostal church that remained Pentecostal and yet trans and then actually moved it to being a missional congregation. It took us 14 years to do that. And what we forgot was that you just can't come into a church and just sort of adopt what is happening in another congregation, in another city, in another area. You have to adapt to it. And so one of the things that I had forgotten, of course, because time flies when you're in a coma, time flies, and we were in Barry seven years before we started to transition the church into a missional community. And it was incredible watching that. But it took 14 years and it took seven years. It wasn't until our seventh year that we transitioned and began the process and moved into being a missional congregation. You just can't do it faster than that. The other thing is this, and this is going to make us uncomfortable. So look at your neighbor and say, I'm going to feel uncomfortable now. And then look back at the neighbor who said that to you and say, so am I. Here's the other thing that got left that we overlooked. Is this. The immediate history of Glad Tidings Church is somewhat disjointed. Now, I did the math, and you have been through four, by the time we got here, you had been through four lead pastors in five years. Pastor John, Pastor Greg Pitts was here for a full year, then Pastor Carl, and then myself. Folks, this is the uncomfortable part. I am surprised. Matter of fact, it knocks me down that this church didn't have some sort of split. And the only thing that I think that saved it, other than the grace of God, is that people prayed. We had prayer teams that prayed all the time. We had a a group of people that met and still meet every morning at seven o'clock for prayer. We have a ladies group that met for prayer, that meets for prayer every Thursday morning. And not to mention all of the individuals who are prayer warriors and people that prayed in life groups and all of those things. Prayer is the thing that kept this church together. But it's taken the last four years for us to heal. And still we're healing. And I think that the morale is higher, and I think that we have regained our stability. One of our board members said to us last fall, around November, October, November, and I'll explain to you what we're doing in a minute. And uh, one of the board members said this. They said, you know, we used to be a church that everybody in the city of Sudbury knew. When I first came here, I was down at the, um, what's that inn we stayed at? Um, The Hampton. And I said to the lady uh, that was uh, at the desk, I said, do you know where Glad Tidings Church is? And she said, no. 
And the board member made the observation that in the past, this church had been known throughout the city. And that he made the observation that that seems to have waned. And it's time for us to become a city well-known in this city again. Not for our sakes, but for the glory of Jesus Christ and the extension of his kingdom. And so, one of the things that we are trying to do is that we are trying to become a missional congregation. And that's what you can expect. I believe that we are getting ready, and we're very close, and we'll start the process again now of becoming a church that is a missional congregation. And by missional, we mean this. That we demonstrate the love of Jesus in our community in practical, meaningful, tangible ways, physical ways. And that we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ with words. But the first one often in our culture comes before the second one. And not only do we want to do that as a church, and we're doing some great things as a church, we want you as individuals, you as life groups, you as people to become a missional Christian. Showing the love of Christ in meaningful ways in our community and proclaiming the gospel of Christ with our words. The second thing that you can expect over the next year is that we will focus on, continue to focus on discipleship. One of the ways that we do that, of course, is that we do that through life groups, and Pastor Derek is leading that along with a team Um, of life group leaders. Now, if anybody is paying attention at all, uh, you probably have noticed that our amount of life groups has decreased. And we need to put some, we need to put some energy and some resources and time and focus back into that because I believe that the answer to becoming a full, um, a fully fledged follower of Jesus Christ and growing into a disciple of Jesus Christ is that we need to be in a place where we grow on a regular basis. And I tell you what, what you get on Sunday mornings is not enough. We need to be involved and we need to grow. So we're going to add some attention to um, life groups. The other thing is that uh, 18 months ago, I promised that we would start the process of having a mission statement, a vision statement, and core values. And um, with, the, with a pastoral change, that sort of kind of got a little bit of a hiccup. Uh, and what we were going to do is we were going to put together 12 to 16 people from the congregation from amongst you uh, to go through that process. So what we decided to do actually is um, we decided that first we would start with the board and the staff. And over this fall, we got together three times and we established um, some mission, uh, vision, mission, and core value statements. And so what we're going to do now is we're not going to share that with you yet, but what we're going to do now starting in the next couple of weeks, and some of you are going to be contacted be a part of that, is that I'm going to ask you for three nights, three Tuesday nights that you would come and be a part of the process. And you'll be getting a call from me, from myself, to be a part of that process. And we're going to select 12 to 16 people from right across the entire demographic of the congregation, from youth all the way up to seniors. And we're going to pull you together in a room. We're going to feed you some dinner. And we're going to spend three hours for three nights and we're going to, well, you're going to walk, the, I'm going to walk you through the same process that I walked the board and the staff through. And so we're hoping to have something to present to you with clarity at our AMM meeting on April the 22nd. The last thing, well, not the last thing, but the thing, the other thing that we want to do is that we want to focus on the next generation. 
Now put your seatbelt on and do not misunderstand my words. This is very important what I'm going to tell you. Because somebody is going to walk out and say, did you hear? Okay, and you're going to get the information wrong. In the fall, early in the fall, Pastor Sherry came to me and said that she believes that she's done in children's ministry. And she graciously said that she would wait until we had somebody else in place. And uh, so in the new year, uh, the starting, um, matter of fact, in the next couple, probably tomorrow or the day after, after I've said this to you, is that in 2018, we're going to be looking for a new children's pastor. And Pastor Sherry is not going to be our children's pastor. Now, you got that information? Now, notice what I did not say. I did not say Pastor Sherry was leaving. She's just not going to do children's ministry anymore. She's going to stay in until we end our uh, camp, and hopefully we'll find somebody uh, in the next few months. The board and I had met, talked about this, prayed about it, thought about it, prayed about it, thought about it, talked about it, talked about it, talked about it, prayed about it, and thought about it. And we have come to the conclusion that we really don't want to say goodbye to Pastor Sherry. And we believe that if we're going to reach the next generation, one of the things that we need to focus on is we need to focus on family ministry. We need to focus on marriages. We need to focus on parenting. And we need to help and support families over the next number of years. And Pastor Sherry is going to become our family minister's pastor, and that's going to be her focus. Yes. The other two things that I want to mention, and then we're going to go to communion. Good thing we don't have CE, but I'm going to be done quickly. So, the other, so two other things I want to tell you is, first of all, is this, um, is that um, there's three things we have to keep in mind at Glad Tidings Church, what we call the three-prong approach to our finances, mortgage, maintenance, and ministry. Now, we're doing fabulous paying off our mortgage but the problem is, is that we're running into some maintenance problems. Our building now is aging, and things are starting to break down. And over the last two years, I think we spent about $200,000 in maintenance. And so uh, the board and I are going to be talking to you about what the future is going to look like in regard to mortgage and maintenance. And the other third piece is that we've got to make sure that ministry becomes, continues to be a focus point. All right? And the third thing, or the last thing that I want to mention today is I want to mention the importance of prayer. And uh, I know that you're praying, and I want to sort of thank all the people that have been praying, that we have, as I mentioned, the early morning prayer meeting of the ladies, and we have the, uh, the group that prays here in the auditorium every morning at 7 o'clock, and we have the prayer teams, and we have the prayer chain, which Gloria McGarvey uh, leads at the moment. <clears throat> and uh, so we are, want prayer, prayer. We need prayer. We need lots of prayer. We need to be bathed in prayer. And so please keep that in mind. So the last thing that I want to mention today is this, and that's the promise and the assurance of Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 12 to 14. And this is what it says. God says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart, and I will be found by you. Now, I'm going to tell you the truth. I believe that 2018 is going to be an extraordinary year for Glad Tidings Church. I believe, and I'm praying, and I'm hoping that this is going to be a banner year because I believe God has an exquisite design 
for our church. So I want to conclude with this. One of the things that must always be kept in mind, and I said all of what I just said to say this, I want to nest this in these next few words. And if you're offended, I apologize. I don't mean to be offensive. I just want to be direct and clear. Glad Tidings Church is not the pastor's church. It's not my church. It was here long before I got here. It's going to be here long after I'm gone. It's not my church. Not the pastor's church. It's not the board's church. Lots of board members were here before. Lots of them are going to be here after the current board is gone, although we got a pretty good board. And this is not your church. This is not my church, but this is not your church. This is Christ's church. And sometimes, myself included, particularly myself included, we have ideas and dreams and wishes for what we want this church to be. And when our ideas and our wishes and our dreams and our expectations do not happen, we become disillusioned. And we become discontented, unhappy. And something ugly takes place. One of three things takes place. When we don't get what we want or our ideas and our dreams and our wishes don't get fulfilled, three things happen. First of all, is we accuse others. We become the accusers of the brothers and sisters. It's their fault. They don't love God. The second thing that happens after that is then we blame God. We blame God. And then the final thing that we do is we end up blaming ourselves. We accuse ourselves. That's the process. By the way, and this is really honest, this is brutally honest, <clears throat> it's why some pastors leave churches. It's why some people leave churches. Because our ideas and our wishes and our dreams don't get fulfilled. They don't happen. It's the reason why some people have left Glad Tidings Church. Because it wasn't the church that they had in their mind. And I want you to know that I want to be very careful and very sensitive when I put out a vision for Glad Tidings Church. Because this is not my church. And this isn't your church. And it isn't the board's church. It's the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. And what we must do is find his ideas and his vision and his wishes for our church. I'm going to invite the ushers to come as we get ready for communion. And I want to finish with what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. And I've got to tell you folks, over this Christmas season, you can ask Ruth this. I have reread four pages of one of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's books ten times. And God has been speaking to me about what I just spoke to you about. This is what Bonhoeffer says. God has already laid the only foundation for our fellowship. Glad Tidings Church. Because, as, because God has bound us together in one body with other Christians in Jesus Christ long before we entered into common life with them. 
we entered into that common life not as demanders, but as thankful recipients. We thank God for what he has done for us. We thank God for giving us brethren and sisters who live by his call, by his forgiveness, and by his promise. We do not complain about what God does not give. We rather thank God for what he does give us daily. Every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian, Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. Even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? So I want you to know when I talk about the vision and the mission for Glad Tidings Church, it is nestled in this truth. This isn't my church, folks. This is Jesus' church. It isn't your church. It's Jesus' church. It isn't the board's church. It's Jesus' church. And our job is to walk in fellowship with Jesus and Understand that there are some things that Jesus does not give. And there's no good complaining about it because this is his church. And we need to be thankful for the things that God does give us. Does that make sense at all? Father, help us. For Christ's sake. For his church's sake. For this church's sake, for the sake of the gospel, forgive us when we have overlaid our own dreams and wishes, ideas onto what we hoped and wanted the fellowship to be. Forgive us. Forgive us for demanding our way. And help us as your people to celebrate, to have gratitude and give thanks for the things that you have given. And help us, oh God. Help us, oh Holy Spirit. Help us, Jesus, the head of the church, to walk in harmony, in step with what it is that you're saying to us. Lead us and guide us and help us to be sensitive and susceptible to that leading and guiding. And we pray all of this in the glorious name, in the beautiful name, in the precious name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.